Yeshua is talking to a people who know his history. So when he's using these parables, they get what he's saying and they're putting pictures together and connecting dots together. And he's saying, he's talking about us. And he's trying to share with them, this is what your faith is going to be. This is your fate if you don't hear what I'm saying. When we go out and share the gospel, the fate of them that reject the gospel is the lake of fire. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. In a series of parables about the kingdom of God, Yeshua speaks to the chief priests, elders of the people, Pharisees, and Herodians on a variety of topics about a father and his sons, obedience and disobedience, John the Baptist, prostitutes, tax collectors, and then a landowner and tenants. The evil and wickedness of the people led Yeshua to speak to them in parables so he could tell them about themselves without having to directly tell them or call them out but to speak in such a way that they would draw the conclusions about themselves. Yeshua uses local language, events, and scenarios the people would have been familiar with in order for the parables to have their most profound effect. Join us in this teaching as Yeshua exposes the hypocrisy and wickedness of the religious leaders in the message, parables, and taxes. So, let's study. Today, we're in Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to be talking about parables and taxes. For those of you who received the notifications, we talked about how in a series of parables about the kingdom, and as we're going to see this particular portion of scripture today, this is the third parable that Yeshua will be speaking in a series of parables to the Pharisees to the chief priests, and then we're going to see the Herodians enter into the fray. And then next week, we'll see how the Sadducees, they're all coming, they're all confronting Yeshua, and their whole goal is not to learn, but to try to trap him for the purpose of destroying him so that their religious systems can continue as it had before he came. Remember that the temple existed before Yeshua was born, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were running things. The priests, of course, the Sadducees were part of the priestly system. They controlled the temple. The Pharisees were also part of the Sanhedrin, and they basically controlled the synagogue system. The synagogue system of the New Testament is the the system that the modern day church is based off of. That was the place where people assembled when they weren't at the temple. This were places where individuals would go to in their Sabbath services uh, before the Messiah came. They existed. We also have talked about how in the Torah, that system didn't exist. In fact, prior to the Babylonian captivity, 
And the Babylonian captivity happened after all of the kings had served. And the last king, I believe Zedekiah, was eyes were gouged out and he was taken into Babylonian captivity. And the only religious system that existed up to that point was the temple. The temple was destroyed. The city was burned. The people were taken into captivity and there was no synagogue system. You won't find synagogues in the Old Testament. You won't find Pharisees in the Old Testament. You won't find Sadducees in the Old Testament. You won't find Herod in the Old Testament. None of that existed. And Father had a system that was totally surrounding the temple system. Prior to that, it was the tabernacle. And this was where he chose to put his name in. And he promised that his presence will be there as long as the people walked with him and obeyed him. The reason why Jehovah raised up the Babylonians, sent them into Israel, took the people captive is because they refused to obey the instructions that the Almighty gave them. While the people were in exile in Babylon, they created a religious system, a Sanhedrin, a synagogue. And when the people returned to the land, they brought that religious system back with them. And so now you had two systems. You had the temple and you had the Pharisees and their synagogue system. So religion existed before Messiah. The Bible tells us that in the fullness of time, he came. While we were yet sinners, father gave his son. So Yeshua came on the scene with a fully operating religious system. In fact, there was a dual system, the temple, which was controlled by the Sadducees, the synagogues, which were controlled by the Pharisees. And of course you had the scribes and teachers of the law who could go in either case. They were either priests or they were Jews or they were learned individuals in the Torah and would teach it and the prophets. And so Yeshua now is dealing with these individuals and he's speaking to them in a series of parables. In fact, the Bible tells us that when he speak to these individuals, he speak to them in parables, which is stories that come alongside a particular principle or a particular event or, or historical setting or something that would cause the individuals to understand what he's saying to them without directly calling them out. When you directly accuse a person, then of course they could say you have made a direct accusation against me. And if it's a true accusation, then that's one thing. If it's not a true accusation, that's another thing. That's slander. But the bottom line is that when you cause a person to recognize something, based on what you are saying, then you're leading them to draw a conclusion, which is what Yeshua does in these parables. He speaks to them in such a way to where they draw the conclusion of what he's saying without him actually saying it. He's saying it, but he's not saying it, but they get the point. And that's the wisdom in which he's communicating with them. So as he's speaking to them, 
He speaks to the chief priests, the elders of the people, the Pharisees, Herodians, and in the next teaching, the Sadducees on a variety of topics about a father and his sons, obedience and disobedience, about John the Baptist, about prostitutes and tax collectors, and then a landowner and tenants. He exposes the evil and the wickedness of the people, which is why he speaks to them in parables so that he can tell them about themselves without having to directly tell them or call them out, but to speak in such a way that they would draw the conclusions about themselves. Now, Proverbs says, if you rebuke a fool, he's going to do what? He's going to turn on you. Now, he's going to call these individuals some names that is worse than calling them a fool. And they're going to turn on him. In fact, they're going to want him dead. Yeshua uses local language, events, and scenarios the people would have been familiar with in order for the parables to have their most profound effect. And what we're going to see in this portion of Matthew is Yeshua speaking to those who inquired of him in the presence of his disciples. So now Yeshua, by calling his disciples, they are following him. We're going to see in this passage that the Pharisees had disciples too, but it seems as if the disciples of the Pharisees, they assembled in classrooms. They assembled in yeshivas. They sat in the classroom and studied. But Yeshua wanted his disciples to see how he did ministry. He wanted them to follow him so that he could demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit while teaching the word of Jehovah. And they begin to see the manifestation of the things that he was speaking on because they saw it firsthand. They were witnesses. In fact, we looked at week before last about the fig tree. Remember, they marveled at the fact that he spoke to the fig tree and how quickly the fig tree began to wither. They saw it with their own eyes. Now it's important for us because Yeshua says to his disciples, all that you have seen me do and teach all that you've seen me do and teach. Why? Because here's the thing, brothers and sisters, we mimic what we see. We are more visual people than we are when it comes down to being able to see and hearing and then repeating. In other words, we do more walking by sight than we do by faith. What Yeshua did is he took his disciples and says, now listen, you see what I'm doing? This is what I want you to do. Watch me, follow me, listen, look, learn. And the works that I do, you shall do. Unlike the disciples of the Pharisees, because see, if you learn in a classroom setting and you are a disciple of the Pharisee, where is your ministry going to take place? In a classroom. If you learn in a synagogue setting, where is your ministry going to take place? In a synagogue. And this is why most ministry take place in church. Because that's where people learn from. That's what they learn. So they come to church to do ministry. That's where their ministry takes place. And then they create ministry 
They create ministry, ministry gifts to perform where? In the church. And from time to time, they take their show on the road. That's when they go out into the community to do some service so they can say they're a community ministry. Yeshua, everywhere he went, he demonstrated the power of the Almighty and he spoke the words of the Almighty. And what is he trying to teach us wherever you go? This is why he says that wherever you are, wherever you go, lo, I am with you. I am with you always. Now, if he's with us always, why is he with us always? Because he's there to empower us for the work of ministry he has called us to do. He is with us, so we ain't operating in the fear of man. Because many of us deal with fear. We're afraid that we're going to say the wrong thing. We're afraid that we're going to mess up, that we're not going to get it right. We're afraid because we haven't been properly equipped, that we're not ready to do any kind of ministry. So what we've been taught is that if real ministry is going to go forth through us, it's going to go forth by the invitation to come to church. See, people know how to invite people to come to church. (laughs) Because that's their idea of church, not that they are the church. You see, Yeshua is not building a building where people gather. He's building individuals. This is why he called those individuals to say, follow me, watch me, so that you can do what I'm doing and you can say what I say. And just as you're seeing the results manifest in my life, you'll see the results manifesting in your life when you go and do what I'm doing. Folks say, well, I don't know. I don't know. what. Well, why, why you don't know is because you ain't doing If you go and do, you'll see his presence, his power will manifest. And he says, don't worry. Don't worry. Why? Because I'll give it to you. Do you know that there are times, and I'm going to tell you this, this happens. And if you think about it, it happens in your life more than you may recognize. You're talking to somebody and he's giving you stuff to say. Now, you can resist it, and some people do, because they feel it, and then they talk themselves out of it. The words is there, and they talk themselves out. Well, they may not be ready to hear this. Well, I don't want to offend anybody. Well, I don't want to say that because they may take it the wrong way. And so what happens is we find ourselves resisting the Holy Spirit who is trying to give us words in a situation, and instead of giving them what he gives us, we give them us. Why? Because we want people to like us. We don't want to offend anybody. Well, I'll tell you something. If you improve your vocabulary, if you build your vocabulary, you'll be able to have more word choices to communicate what you're hearing. In fact, I believe that he will give us the words In our vocabulary, we have if we just listen. But here's what I have found me doing in times like that in the early days. 
in the early days when he would speak to me, I would be so scared and so nervous to say it because I think that the people uh, that I'm speaking to may not necessarily receive it. So I find myself forcing me to release it, which means it comes out forceful. It comes out with attitude. It comes out with, with, with my spirit on it because I'm forcing myself to speak what he's giving me and what people feel, they feel what I'm saying. They feel the spirit by which I'm operating in more than they're hearing the words that I'm speaking. So I had to learn how to relax, calm down. Stop the heart from beating fast. Cause you know, when the spirit starts speaking to you, man, that heart, I don't know about, but your heart just, just start, like it wants to jump out your chest. Has that ever happened to anybody? You know, he's speaking, but man, you scared to death. You nervous. You can't even, you about to choke up speaking. And this is the work of the spirit operating. And when we learn how to flow with the Holy spirit, it becomes easier. We're able to communicate what he's saying. All I got to do is calm down, get out the way, hear the words that he's speaking, and then speak them with all the calm, love, and compassion I can muster up, and then I'm done. This is how Yeshua operated until, until the people came at him with some foolishness. When they came at him with foolishness, (laughs) he dealt with the foolishness. See, when people come at you the wrong way, you're under no obligated to respond to them based on their requests. Because if somebody is coming at you in a forceful way to try to force you to prove something and you prove something Based on that force, guess what? You've just come underneath that person's spirit. You've submitted yourself to the spirit of that person and how they came at you. It's the same way when somebody come at you and they're fussing and hollering. I was at Costco yesterday. And um, as I was pulling up, this man was backing out of the parking space. And had I stopped, he would have hit me. And so I blew my horn, said, hey, man, you know, I didn't say that. I just blew my horn. And that man got irate. He got irate. Now, he don't know who he's talking to. He really don't. (laughs) And so I've learned that when people get irate, don't respond to them. Don't respond. So he let his window down, start yelling everybody in the and the whole parking area was looking and, and I just pulled on and pulled in my spot and the man pulled up behind me and blocked me in. He's saying all kinds, at that time, I'm reaching for my peace. I'm not going to say a word. You better stay in that truck and keep it moving. And I was thinking and I, I just thought about that all day long and gave thanks I gave thanks to father that the man stayed in his truck because I I started thinking, what if he had got out of that truck? And then I started imagining him getting out of the truck with a crowbar. 
I mean, my mind just thought, yeah, he banging my truck, busting out the window. And it's like, you know, the whole, whole time I'm just standing there, just as calm. But there's some crazy people out there right now. And I, I'm just, Father, I'm thankful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for keeping that man in the truck. And now I'm thinking about his family members, you know, because... <laughs> You know, when you have an altercation and somebody gets hurt and they got loved ones, those loved ones, sometimes they want revenge. They want to avenge their loved ones who, even though they were wrong in what they did. And so I'm, I'm playing that whole scenario out all the way to the courts because of this man and his irate behavior toward me and I knew better than to roll my window down and start screaming back at him. I knew better than to get out of my truck because I'm a big guy. I'm not easily intimidated. And he's talking to me like, you know, I'm trash, but I just ignored him. Why? Because if I hadn't, I would have come underneath his spirit and I have to remain under his spirit. That's the whole goal. You understand what I'm saying? If folks are hollering at you, if folks are screaming at you, if folks are calling you out of your name, if folks are speaking to you in a disrespectful tone, ignore it. Don't give place to the devil. Because that's exactly what it would have been. If he's under the, the spirit of something evil and I responded to it, I just gave place to it. And you have to learn. We have to learn because Yeshua didn't do that. Now, if somebody came at him like we're going to see here, of course, he's out in, in a public setting. But I'm, I'm sharing that story with you because I suspect that as time go by, you're going to run across some of these folks if you haven't already. Because the world is getting more and more wicked, more and more evil. And we cannot allow ourselves to come underneath the spirit of the world because when we do, we misrepresent him and we find ourselves at the mercies of the enemy, at the mercies of the courts. See, I'm legal. I'm legal. I understand the law and how it works. Why? Because I've, I've learned how the law works. I understand stand your ground. I understand self-defense. I understand all of that. I understand intent. Identifying intent. I understand how to get your story straight. How to stay on point. How to just repeat what you've just said and not change your story somewhere down the line. I understand all that. But even with all that understanding... I don't want to be in a situation like that could have led to because if nothing else is a huge waste of time focusing on a defense when I could be focusing on the kingdom and advancing that kingdom because the enemy will do whatever he can to get you off track, to deter you. He will send roaring lions because that's, that's what he's like. He, he's like a roar lion seeking whoever he can devour. Well, I'm not lion food. I mean. And so Yeshua speaks 
And in this particular passage, he's going to deal with a wedding banquet parable and paying taxes to Caesar. He's also going to expose the hypocrisy and wickedness of religious leaders. Now, as I did last week in the parable we looked at, I want you to consider in this parable that the king is Jehovah, the son Yeshua. Those who had been invited but would not come, consider them to be rulers, religious leaders, and those who rejected the message of Yeshua. The servants that is going to be sent, prophets, more servants, more prophets. And again, the son Yeshua. And Yeshua again answered and spake unto them by parables and said, now in the them, I'm taking you back to the previous chapter. The them were the chief priests and Pharisees mentioned in verses 45, Matthew 21 says, and when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard this parables, which at this particular point, he, he spoke two parables. And now the plural in the verse we just looked at prior to this is plural as well. So this is the third parable they perceived. Now he spoke the parable in such a way that they perceived that he was talking about them. Why did they perceive he was talking about them? Because he spoke to them in such a way to where he didn't call them out, but he called them out. And because they perceived it, they sought to lay hands on him. But now you see the fear of the people. They feared the multitude. Why? Because the multitude took him as a prophet. Well, we saw the last week where, you know, when they came for John, they wouldn't, they feared because when Yeshua talked to them, what did you go out to see? And he used John's own language and words. And the Pharisees, when they came, it says that they feared because they knew John was a prophet. There's something about prophets in the Bible that when the prophet speaks, the people recognize that the prophet speaks for the Almighty. But Yeshua, remember Jehovah said in, in Torah, he says, if a person claims to be a prophet and they say things that don't come to pass, do not fear that prophet because the prophet was the spokesperson of the Almighty. And when the prophets came, the people feared the prophet, because the prophet represented the almighty. But think about this. The religious leaders put, put the prophets to death. See, there comes a point when people who represent God don't fear God anymore. And the prophets came and spoke to them about the instructions that he had been given. And in some cases, she had been given. And the people ended up murdering them. The ones they should have feared, they murdered. And so these people, they see, they took him for a prophet. They see the people respond to him for a prophet, but that's not going to stop them from plotting. The chief priests and Pharisees fear the multitude delayed their plot to lay hands on Yeshua. However, knowing their plot and their restraints, Yeshua continued to speak to them in another parable. He knew what he was dealing with, folks. And we need to know who we're dealing with. I sometimes wonder about my perception and why I'm made the way I'm made. 
because I've, I've watched me watch people. <laughs> I've had these out-of-body experiences for most of my lives to where I'm looking at me and how I'm operating in certain environments among certain people and just watching me watch people because I analyze and watch people. It's not something I was trained to do. It's just something that I did. I don't know where that came from, but that's been a huge part of who I am. And this is where I've learned that if we analyze ourselves and watch us and look at our history and how we've operated, you may find how Father has been dealing and working and using you for the most part of your life. Don't think for a moment that the day you answered the calling that you've been called to is the day you were called. If the prophet's true, he knew you while you was in your mama's womb. He's been watching you all your life. He's been trying to get your attention for the better part of your life as long as you have had any form of cognitive skill. He's been speaking to you. He's been working with you. He's been operating in the midst of you. He's been trying to reach you, trying to communicate to you. Sometimes I just watch infants in the bed, in their crib, and it's obvious that they're communicating with something or somebody, and you have no idea who they're communicating with, but they are in a conversation. They're in conversation. And you're standing there wondering, because ain't nobody, you can't see. You can't see who's in the room. But somebody's in there. Something is in there. Because that child is not communicating with thin air. They see something. We can't see it. And the only way we can figure that out is we go back as far as we can when that same something could have been trying to communicate with us. And this is how I could go all the way back to a certain part in my life and remember when I used to hear my name called and I look back and there's nobody there. I knew I heard my name. Somebody called me. Somebody was talking to me. I hear voices and not knowing what these voices are. And, and you can think you're going crazy, especially if you got some crazy folks in your family. And I just so happened to have a brother who had gone into the uh, mental institution and I'm thinking, okay, this stuff runs in the family because I got, my family was just crazy. I had some crazy folks in my, in my family. They didn't all go to, to the mental institution, but sometimes you wonder how they escaped it. I sometimes wonder how I escaped it because I know, and this is one of the reasons why I'm, I'm strict, but I'm also compassionate and understanding because see, I did prison ministry, not that I went to prison because I was sent to prison. I did prison ministry because I had a compassion for inmates and ministering to people in prison because I knew that if I had got caught for half the stuff I did, <laughs> I would have been one of them. And going in there, seeing how many of them who had been called by the Almighty but got tripped up by the devil and doing things and hanging out with people they shouldn't have been hanging out with instead of ministering to them, 
and communicating to them and resisting them went along with them. You see, Proverbs tell us that our feet should not be swift in running to shed innocent blood. We shouldn't be caught up in doing things when we know better. And a lot of us knew better, even though we couldn't tell you where the, where the scripture was, couldn't tell you where the verse was, didn't even know it was a verse. But you knew something in you is telling you that's wrong. This ain't right. That person's lying to you. This person is conning you. That person is scamming you. And when you look back and you think about all the times you shut that down and shut that down and found yourself in places and then you say, man, I should have listened to my first mind. See, through the analyzing of all of that, seeing as I'm looking back, analyzing all of this activity in my life, I begin to pinpoint times in my life where it seemed clear and obvious that the Almighty was trying to get my attention. It's like, why? Because he had something for me to do. I was busy trying to do my own thing, going here, going there, trying to make friends, being rejected in this environment, being rejected over there, being mistreated over there, being taken advantage over there because I wasn't supposed to be in those environments. And those things that were happening in those environments were signs to me that I couldn't see that, listen, you ain't supposed to be here. You don't belong here. Why are you here? Some of y'all heard me tell the story. I was sitting on a bar stool, <laughs> a drunk, head on the bar. Out of nowhere, just woke up, looked at me, and said, you don't belong here. And plopped back down on the bar. <laughs> you would think I would hear that. I heard it. But it didn't change nothing. And looking back at all the times the Almighty has been trying to get our attention, brothers and sisters, because he's been trying to communicate with us. Yeshua is trying to communicate with some people. He's trying to tell them some things and they know what he's talking about because they perceive that he's talking about them. They know. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain man. So now he's talking about a parable of the kingdom, which made a marriage for a son. And he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants saying, tell them which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. If you think about this marriage as the, Wedding supper, the marriage supper of the lamb. You think about those who have been invited, but they made light of it and went their ways. One to his farm, another to his merchandise, his business. Now, this is what Luke said, because Luke parallels, but he tells it a little bit different and he leaves some pieces out, but it's a parallel to this particular event. It says, and they all with one consent begin to make excuse. First said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray that you will excuse me. 
Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. Luke 14, 19. I pray that you will have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now, all of these are legitimate excuses from their perspective. Just like you and I have legitimate excuses from our perspective as to why we're not answering the call. We all got some good excuses. And many of us, like Moses, we, dis- we feel disqualified because we look at our past. I remember, brothers and sisters, I was having a conversation with my wife yesterday about some of you heard. You know, when I was in Michigan, there were a few times when I was going to run for public office. At one time, I strongly considered running for mayor. And when I looked at my history, because see, I'm going to tell you something about politics. The moment you enter into the fray, they dig up all the dirt. Anything that you've done, they look for. And I had a lot of dirt. I had dirt. (laughs) And it was part of that too, on top of the fact that father is telling me, this is not what I've called you to that I had to put that off. And I certainly can't. I've damaged any opportunity of ever running for political office for the rest of my life. Because <laughs> they got the videos. All I got to do is just look at a few of my teachings. And it's like, man, they don't need to write a dossier. They just collect my videos and take clips of me talking about not voting. That's enough right there. Tax issues. Man, they got enough junk on me to, so I've doomed and sealed that forever. But here they're making excuses. In verse six in Matthew 22, it says, and the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and then slew them. Now imagine that. They took the man's servant. It's like, the man's servant is coming to them, telling them, you've been invited to the wedding. The king said it's time. Now come. They could have just resisted. Could have, no, we're not, made their excuses. But these, he says, they slew them. This is where, if you look back in Israel's history, where they killed the prophets. One is saying between the altar and the holy place. <laughs> killed them inside the tabernacle. The prophets were treated in such manner by the people of Jehovah. Notice here in verse seven says, when the king heard thereof, he was wrought and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Those of you who have read in the prophets, Isaiah prophesied by a man named Cyrus. Jehovah said Cyrus was his anointed one that he had ro- rose Cyrus up. Cyrus wasn't Hebrew. He was a foreigner. We know that father raised up nations to do his bidding, even though those nations may not acknowledge him. And this is what he did. Now, and here's where I see of the hundreds of years of the kings, beginning with Saul, There were righteous kings and there were evil kings. And these kings did things 
Many of them did things, even David and Solomon, they did some atrocious things. And because of father's promise to Abraham that he did not pour out his wrath, he was very patient, very patient. This Thursday, we're going to talk about the grace and presence of Jehovah. And we're going to see how gracious father was. As a matter of fact, when you look at him, he was plenteous in mercy, gracious, slow to anger. And he saw all of this being done in his presence. As we were going through Exodus just this past Thursday, how the people, when Moses didn't come down soon enough, how the people in the presence of the almighty had the future high priest build a golden calf, began to worship, sing and dance in the presence of the almighty idolatry right there in his face and how people who claim to love the almighty do idolatrous things. People who love God with all their heart fornicating people who love God with all their heart committing adultery people who love God with all their hearts, same sex relationships, people who love God with all their hearts, lying and stealing, murdering and conspiring. And with their lips, they give praise to him, but from their actions, from their heart is far from him. Their behavior and their words are not aligned. And you can't tell them they love God, but when you point out their actions, don't judge. Well, your actions is contradicting what your mouth is saying. But don't judge me. Well, I'm not judging you. Your actions are condemning you. I'm just simply pointing out what is obvious. Can't you see it? Well, God knows my heart. That's why he's trying to give you a new one. Because the one you got ain't working. It doesn't have compassion toward him. That heart that you're operating in is serving you. And therefore it is causing the you, you to resist the new you, the Holy spirit in you that is trying to get you to do right. The old you is resisting that you and there's a battle in you. And typically the one who is the strongest wins. And because most believers are weak, untrained, undiscipled, they don't exercise the discipline to resist that old man, give in to the old man claiming to love the almighty. And the devil loves it because he said, that's, that's another deceived one. I can go about my business because they know what the word say, but they ain't doing it. They know what the word says, but they ain't doing it. And if you are a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, who, who's deceiving you? You deceive yourselves. So the enemy can go and work on somebody else. Cause you good. <laughs> As far as he's concerned, he don't need to hang out at your house too long. Just check in on you from time to time, stir something up and keep it moving. So when the king heard thereof, he was wrought and he did what he sent his armies. Now notice here, Yeshua's parables 
spoke the historical events of Israel's past. Isaiah prophesied before the Babylonian captivity. Notice this. This is where people make the mistake. If you've got a Bible, I want you to go to the table of contents. In the table of contents, you'll find Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Judges, uh, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. Now, Ezra and Nehemiah are during the time of Babylon. Esther is after Babylon. You see, Esther and her uncle, what was the uncle's name? Esther and her uncle weren't supposed to be in Babylon. Why? Because father had raised up Cyrus and instructed all of the the Hebrews, the Jews who were in Babylon to go back to Israel. They stayed. Esther wasn't supposed to be there. And God's not mentioning it. His name is not mentioned in the whole book. So when you're talking about who knows, maybe you were raised up for such a time as this, such a time as what? To where you become the bride of the king who's disposed his wife. According to Torah, if you are a Jew and you married to a man who's divorced his wife, guess what? And so now you are being made queen. You ain't even supposed to be in Babylon. Say, come out of her, my people. Return to the land. You've been set free. You've been delivered. Now go and rebuild. But no, they decided to stay. Now you got Ezra, Nehemiah, but because Isaiah comes after the Psalms and after the Proverbs, which guess what? The Psalms and the Proverbs is supposed to be before Nehemiah and Ezra. Why? Because Nehemiah and Ezra, when they were alive, there was no more kings. So Solomon's writings and David's writings would have happened long before Ezra and Nehemiah. So why is it after? When you look at Isaiah, Daniel, Daniel comes after Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, when in fact Daniel was in Babylon. So why is he way out there? Jeremiah. In fact, Isaiah was a prophet while in Israel. Remember the year King Uzziah died? Uzziah was a king of Israel. By the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, there were no more kings of Israel. So why is Isaiah so far out there? He's long after Babylon. What does it do? It gives you the impression that Isaiah and Jeremiah are prophesying when in fact, most of what they're saying has come to pass. And now people are talking about using Jeremiah as a second exodus. As the, the, the what, it, what do they call it? The second exodus. But there's another term. That's going to be greater. No longer will they be talking about, you know, the first exodus. Guess what? That second exodus happened when father brought the children of Israel out of Babylon and sent them back to the land. 
the greater exodus. But when you got people who are using prophecy and prophets and writings out of the order, out of the context, sure, Isaiah and Jeremiah seem like it's after Babylon has happened. So what they're prophesying about is for the future when the future was before Babylon to them. But if you don't know, and this is why when we do the books of the Bible, I give you dates. I give you times of writings. I give you audience. Who is this written to? Because if you look at the order that is in the book, you'll be all confused and you'll be speaking things that you don't even know what you're talking about. And people who don't know their Bible will be following right along and following a doctrine and they don't have a clue. And then look at me. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about. I just laid it out for you. Do the math. Do the math. You'll see Daniel should be before Ezra and Nehemiah. You'll see that Isaiah and Jeremiah should be before Ezra and Nehemiah. And I'll stop there. The reason why I'm saying this is because of what I'm about to show you. See, Isaiah prophesied in 2 Kings. That's a clue. He prophesied to Hezekiah. That's another clue. Because there were several kings after Hezekiah. And if Zedekiah was the last king, and you look at the order of kings, you'll see that when Isaiah prophesied, Babylon hadn't happened. What did he say? Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be what? Carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith Jehovah. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Jeremiah prophesied before and during the Babylonian captivity and was carried off into Babylon. And here's what he said. Then the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah and Riblah. Zedekiah was, I think, five kings, six kings after Hezekiah. And when the Babylonians came in, they took Zedekiah, gouged out his eyes, took his sons and slew them, killed them. In front of him. Also, the king of Babylon slew all the nobles of Judah. See, when Yeshua is talking about the king is going to send his armies. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with chains to carry him to Babylon. So if Jeremiah writing this, where's Jeremiah? Because Babylon hadn't happened yet. And the Chaldeans burned the king's house. The who? The Chaldeans burned the king's house and the houses of the people with fire and break down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried away captive into Babylon, the remnant of the people that remained in the city. And those that fell away, that fell to him with the rest of the people that remain. Now notice this verse, because if you stop right here, you will conclude 
that all the people in Israel was carried into Babylon. All you got to do is read the next verse. But Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, left the poor people, which had nothing, in the land of Judah and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. So what do you see? You see people still in the land. Even though the wealthy, the noble, the learned had been taken, the poor, the lame, those who had nothing was left. There's always been Israelites in the land of Israel. Ever since the day father gave them the land, there have been Israelites in the land. Israel has never been depleted of Israelites. Even when the northern tribes and the southern tribes were carried away or taken away. The weak, the poor, the unlearned were left to work the fields, left to work the vineyards, left to work the land. They may have lost their identity, their knowledge of who they were at over time, focusing on the work, but there's always been a remnant of people. Not all the people of Judah and Israel were taken captive into Babylon. The poor, the weak, the needy were left in the land to work the vineyards and the fields. So when, when, when Yeshua talks about that king sending in his army and destroying and burning the city, because that's what they did. They burned Jerusalem. They defiled the temple. They broke down the walls. They burned the city. They took the people, but there were people left. Because in the parable, when Yeshua says that the king is going to send his armies, and then after he do all that, he's going to send more servants to gather the people that are in the poor. Notice. Yeshua continued, then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways. What do you mean go into the highways? Wait a minute. Didn't he say he's going to send his kings and destroy and burn and kill? But yet there's people left. He says, go ye therefore into the highways and as many as you shall find bid to the marriage. Luke wrote, so that servant came and showed his Lord. This is the servant that was sent out and they made all the excuses. He came and showed his Lord. Then the master of the house being angry said to a servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring who? The poor, the maimed, the halt, the blind. See, when you look at Yeshua's ministry, blessed are the poor. I know he says poor in spirit. The poor you shall always have with you. You know why they're going to always have the poor? Because whenever stronger armies come and take captives, they're not going to be taking the poor because they got to feed them, the blind, the maimed, because they got to provide medical care for them. And if you still control the land, that you've just pillaged, you need somebody to work the land. And what do you do? You take the learned ones and you put them in your institutions to train your people. 
See, when you start thinking, when you read the Bible, a lot of this stuff, especially if you know the history, you'll be able to make sense because Yeshua is talking to a people who know his history. So when he's using these parables, they get what he's saying and they're putting pictures together and connecting dots together. And he's saying, he's talking about us. And he's trying to share with them, this is what your faith is going to be. This is your fate if you don't hear what I'm saying. When we go out and share the gospel, the fate of them that reject the gospel is the lake of fire. When we make a compelling message and, and, and we're offering them the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, the alternative is, is if you don't accept this, this is your future. That's what Yeshua said. When you look at for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he goes further, says those who do not believe in him, they're what? Condemned already. Father didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. Yeshua didn't come to bring condemnation. He will come with a sword, but he didn't come to bring condemnation. He didn't come to send people to hell, but he told them that here's the message. If you accept it, you receive the gift of eternal life. If you reject it, you are already condemned. How were they already condemned? Because all man was condemned. Why? Born in sin. And the sovereignty of the Almighty declared who he would save, who he would deliver. He's the only one who knows that. I don't know who they are. You don't know who they are. So I can't say who they are. I can't say who's going to hell. I can't say who's going to heaven. I can't say any of that. All I can do is look at the fruit of people and make a judgment based on their behavior. But where they spend their eternity is not for me to know. Father knows all that. Just like he knows when Messiah will come. It's not for us to know. There's certain things. It's just not for us to know. And Father, keep those things close. You don't let anybody know it. Why? Because he just wants us to be about what he's instructed. See, if, if I do my part, I'm not out here trying to judge you and trying to condemn you and trying to tell you what to do. If I just focus on what I'm supposed to do, then I'm holding down my space, my place in the kingdom that he's assigned me to. That's all of our jobs. Wherever he's assigned you, that's why it's so important for you to find your place in this kingdom, in this calling, so that you can be about his business in the place that he's assigned you to. Don't be looking around, trying to figure out what you can pillage. Focus on what he has called you to do. Because while you're looking around, something's going to catch your eyes and draw you out. Have you pursuing stuff that you ain't got no business pursuing? That's what the sight will do to you. And you'll find people, they'll be looking at their lives. 
You know, I'm 30 years old. I'm getting old. I need to find somebody quick. I'm 35 years old. I'm be- almost past my childbearing age. I'm 45 years old. Life has moved quick on me, and I'm still single. I'm this. I'm that. I'm that. And so what happens? Out of all this, you start making decisions for you. That's who we are apart from him. And the whole point, while we're trying to pursue the stuff that we want, we're not pursuing him and what he wants. And that's where your peace is. That's where your blessings are. That's that place and that understanding, you know, where he talks about this peace that surpasses all understanding. The world is telling you, you need to get married. You need to do this. You need to do that. It's like, who are you to tell me what I need to be doing? If you're so wise, why aren't you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Or you think it's your job to tell everybody else what they need to be doing while you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing? Because if everybody focused on what they're supposed to be doing, guess what? You'll be out of other people's business. You won't be a busybody no more. You won't be called nosy. Man, I'm, I'm coming hard today. I mean, back up some. Whew, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> in the temple. <laughs> the word is a sword. It's worse than a whip, brothers and sisters. I'll tell you, it'll cut you in places where you can't see you bleed. <laughs> And it won't leave a mark except inside, which is where it should be. And then he said, the servant said, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. So he's sending the servants back out and they could be prophets. They could be evangelists. Their job is to go and spread the message that the king Banquet is ready, and y'all need to come in. Y'all need to come. You can come as you are, but notice. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Now, Yeshua is talking to this. He's saying this to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or the Pharisees and the scribes. So those servants went into the hedges, into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Now, notice he's sending them out into the hedges, into the byways, the poor, the maimed, the blind, the halt. So they're going to come. Now, if you're poor, how are you going to buy a wedding garment? Now, remember, he's talking a parable. Now, and he said unto him, friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The man is in. He don't have a wedding garment. Now, God, God understand, the king has spared no expense. No expense. Everything is provided for. Everything is provided for. This is the parable here. So here you have a guest who came as he was without putting on the proper attire of the wedding banquet. All the other guests had on the proper garments because he only found one suggesting 
Because of their status, the garments may have been provided for them upon arrival. Everything else was provided for. It wouldn't be fair to the king to invite somebody to come and then they came and then he's upset because they're not properly dressed. A more suitable thing would have been, hey, there's a wedding garment over there, you know, or hey, you know, let's get you dressed. Let's get you ready so that you can be, you know, okay. Because this king has gone through a great deal and spared no expense in this parable. It suggests that, you know, it's like you come in, it's provided, but you disregard. You disregard. You're just going to come in here with however you want to. Now, there is tradition, and those of you who have the um, David uh, Stern's New Testament commentary, he actually speaks to that. Of course, he gives a scripture in Revelation, which deals with the bride, not necessarily. Well, when you think about the bride, we are the, Yeshua is the bridegroom. It's unusual when you think about the idea that whether you're male or female, you are the bride of Messiah. But it's going to play into the next parable where he talks about in the kingdom, there's no marriage. There's no given in marriage. But see, we have such a secular, carnal, worldly way of thinking. It's hard for us to see from a supernatural kingdom perspective. Because when we come into the kingdom, what's most important is the king. Serving the king, honoring the king. That's what's most important in the kingdom. In our worldly kingdom, what's most important to us? We are. Self. So when I think, and I was, I was uh, looking at two women got married. And they were both called brides. Is that a marriage? I mean, typically in a biblical marriage, there's a bride and a bridegroom. Two men get married and they're both grooms. Which one's the bride? See, the world is off, folks. But there are people who are called believers who are worldly in their thinking and just as off as the world around them is. See, you can be a believer with a worldly carnal mind. And you'll have compassion for the world and its idolatrous, wicked behavior and try to even bring that mess in the word. Well, brother Jesus, you know, he's compassion. He's, he's don't judge now. You know, you should, you should just let everybody live and let live and let everybody, you know, do, do, do whatever because, you know, God will sort all this out. Well, there's certain things he's given us the instructions to sort out. See, to take on that mindset, that mentality is to say, I don't have instructions to operate by. But if he's given you instructions on how to operate and how to see, you know, I'm not going to condemn a homosexual because that's his job. I'm not going to mistreat somebody because they're different than me. 
I'm going to treat the homosexual, I'm going to treat the lesbian with dignity and respect because they are the creation of the Most High. I'm not going to talk down to them, call them names, call them out of their names, go out of my way to make evil against them because that's not his way. Just because somebody wants to live a lifestyle that is alternative to his word doesn't give me the authority and the right to live according outside his word. I'm supposed to love. I owe no man nothing but love. Now, I mean, I want you serving me. I've been in restaurants and it just creeps me out when a flaming homosexual comes to my table and I'll change seats. I may even leave, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to speak evil of that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to mistreat that person. They have a right to live however they choose to live. And I have a right as to how to deal with it. Not going to stone them because <laughs> that's not my job. We have to learn how to leave things because father will deal with it and me not come underneath it. You have to learn how to not come underneath it. And it's so confusing, brothers and sisters, especially when you're reading about a transgender person who is a he, but the language in the article identify the he as a she. You ever tried to do that? You reading? And you find yourself by reading, calling the she, he, and the he, she, and you know the she is a he. But the words get you all mixed up and twisted up. And we got to learn how to sort all that stuff out in our head because the way the world is pushing us, the world is pushing us to call the wicked good. And the day you start doing that is a clear indication You've lost your way. Let me finish this up. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Now we're going to get into then with the Pharisees and took counsel, how they might entangle him in his talk. And what did they do? They sent out him unto him, their disciples and the Herodians saying, master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Men talk about flattery. The Pharisees' disciples and the Herodians attempt to trap Yeshua. Here we see the Pharisees had disciples, and the Herodians were there, those in allegiance with Herod the king. Herod was that Herod, Antipas, was the son of Herod the Great in Malthase, a Samaritan woman. After the death of his father, he was appointed by the Roman tetrarch of Galilee and Perea. Herod had John beheaded because John the Baptist confronted him about his marriage to his brother Philip's wife. And at that time, Herod the Tetrarch, according to Matthew 14, 1, heard of the fame of Yeshua and said unto his servants, this is John the Baptist. He thought John had resurrected from the dead. He is risen from the dead and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias sake, his brother's his brother Philip's wife. So Herod believed in reincarnation. It gives you insight into his belief system. 
Because the, the Yeshua certainly wasn't John. Now, when Lazarus was written from the dead, Lazarus looked like Lazarus alive, like he looked before he was dead. It wasn't a di different Lazarus. Herod the Herodians and many of the Jews were in allegiance with Caesar and tried to pressure Pilate, who had been appointed by Caesar, to persecute Yeshua. But Pilate wanted no part of their scheme. So the Herodians were partisans of Herod. In other words, this is the political arena. Here we see politics in the scripture. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, came into cahoots with Herod and his partisans to go against Yeshua. It's no different than the politicians today coming in cahoots with certain prominent ministries. They just want to come in politic and, you know, get folks vote. Give me a chance to speak at your service and, you know, we'll give you some kickbacks. That's what's going on here, politics. And the politicians and the religious leaders has gotten together to trap Yeshua. I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. The politicians and the religious leaders have gotten together in our day to trap the church. This is why they're trying to get all churches to come under their 501c3 to resist their sovereignty under the Most High and come under the sovereignty of the Internal Revenue Service, which is not even a federal agent. All this tricky language, tricky documents to get you to sign on the dotted line when you don't even have to be signing on no dotted line. But I'm going to tell you something, politics and religion have keyed, have, have, have been at work ever since the formation of this country. John 19, 12, here's a good example. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him, who? Yeshua. But the Jews cried out saying, if, if, if thou let this man go, you're not, a, you're not a friend of Caesar. And he said, wait a minute, hold on. You're not a friend of Caesar. Caesar appointed Pilate. So, so they're trying to turn Pilate into their team by saying, the one who appointed you you're not his friend. Now, what if that word got back to Caesar? So, so Pilate is trying to wash his hands of all of this. Whosoever maketh himself a king, speak against Caesar. The Pharisees, Sadducees, and Herodians were some murderous people who would destroy anyone who opposed or resisted their teaching, their practices, and their commandments. They plotted to destroy Yeshua and attempted to bait and trap him in public to give them a reason and convince the people that he's, he deserved to be killed in order to manifest, and this manifested throughout the gospel narratives. Just as they tried to trap Yeshua, folks are working on trying to trap you and I. Tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Yeshua perceived their wickedness. Now this is the disciples of the Pharisees and the Herodian, he perceived their wickedness and said, why tempt ye me? And then what did he do? He called them hypocrites. Now notice here, Yeshua's use of words to define and describe the Pharisees, the disciples they sent, and the Herodians is telling. Because what is he saying? 
First, they were wicked. You are religious people and you are political people. Religion and politics has teamed up and he called them wicked, depraved, iniquitous, wicked, evil purposes and desire. Their purposes were wicked. Their purposes were evil. And then he used this word hypocrites. And I can tell you, brothers, I can take this and preach another hour. But the idea of one who answers an interpreter, an actor, a stage player. And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, there is so much stage play in churches these days. It is unfathomable. The stuff preachers do to entertain their audience. The shenanigans, the antics, all of that stuff to excite to get you all hyped and don't have an organ, especially a Hammond B3. Oh, you, you good to go. And I was watching, you know, it's like, and, and I feel sad. I feel sad. I felt, I felt so sad. I saw this, this video of this Sabbath keeping congregation and they all got the Holy ghost or the people in there got the Holy ghost. I mean, is this the Holy Ghost? That's the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost making them do that. And I felt so sorry for them. Because that's as much Holy Ghost as they're going to see. And, and, and I'm not trying to mock, but it's mocking. Where in the Bible do the Holy Ghost make people do that? And if that's the way the Holy Ghost manifests, then in every congregation that the Holy Ghost manifests, they should be doing that. How come that kind of dance is only in certain congregations? Every congregation has this unique manifestation of when the presence of the Holy Spirit shows up. And most of them are not in line with what is written. But if you've been taught that's the Holy Ghost, then you're going to want some of that. The next thing you know, it ain't long before you're doing it. Learn behavior. Learn behavior. Just like being slain in the spirit, drunk in the Holy Ghost. It's like, are you saying, no, all I'm asking you, show me that. Because according to this book, we got years and years of Holy Spirit manifestation. And in none of the years and years of Holy Spirit manifestation, can we find any of those examples. So this is a new Holy Ghost manifestation. When it comes down to hypocrites, see there, number two, an actor. Stage player, pretender, except these people don't think they're pretending. For them, this is real. And this is why when I looked at it, I couldn't laugh. I, I almost, I wanted to, to be able to tell them, what is it that you all are doing? And, and I'm, I'm seeing some people watching this and it's like, 
They're in, but they ain't with that. And these are the kinds of things, brothers and sisters, there are a lot of things in the churches today, in assemblies today, that have replaced the true presence of the Most High. And that's really what we want. We want the authentic manifestation of the presence of the Most High. Because see, here's what this, this leads to. If you're convinced that this is how you behave when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, how come you only do that in church? Is the Holy Spirit not with you when you go out? Is the Holy Spirit not with you at home? Because if this is an authentic manifestation of the Holy Spirit, and this is how it calls you to behave, then this should be common in your life. Unless the only time you experience the Holy Spirit is in church. Where we are and where we want to go is we want to manifest the presence of the Holy Spirit in our jobs, in the marketplace, supermarket, if you're going to a restaurant, wherever you are, he's with you. And what he wants is you to be aware that he's with you so that he can commune with you. You commune with him. He can communicate to you. And then you could be used as his representative who you claim you are. Show me the money. He brought them a penny and said, whose inscription, whose image is this and subscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. Then said he unto them, render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Now next week, he's going to shut them down. But in this particular, and, and I, I almost brought a couple of coins that are silver. And, and I wanted to make a point because any of you who have ever collected uh, coins, whether they be silver or gold, you'll know that in our country, there used to be a time when gold was the standard because according to the constitution, only Congress has the authority to coin money. When Congress was coining money, there was no presidential faces on the money. And if you've got the original silver, and I'm not talking about the John F. Kennedy, uh, 40% or the Eisenhower 40%. But I'm talking about when you talk about the actual coins and you look, mainly there's the face of Liberty and there's lady Liberty. There's no dead presidents, no dead presidents. And I was looking at currency cause wherever I go, whatever country I go in, I take currency and I collect it. And so I have some currencies from various countries. And in some of them, they got the current president face. And in England, they got the queen's face, the living monarch. We're one of those countries that now that we print money, they're all dead presidents. 
no living person make the face of what people call money today, which is actually fiat money. This belongs to the feds. It belongs to the, the federal reserve. It's a federal reserve note. This is their property. It's not mine. I can't deface it. I can't print it myself. Now, I can make gold coins, and it will not be in violation of any law. I can make silver coins, and it will not be in violation of any law. All I got to do is melt silver and fashion it. Make gold, boil it, bring it to temperature, and plate it. And I could put whatever face on it and it will retain its value because its value is based on the gold itself. This has no value other than what they give it. It's got the face. It's fiat. It's fake money. But it's currency. Real money is in gold and silver. The value of it and its face value this is a $5 bill. It will never be worth more than $5. The gold, a $1 gold coin now today is valued at at least $32, $33, $34, $35. A gold coin is almost $2,000. Are you with me? Because this is what they've convinced us. See, what he said is, give me a coin, and what do you see? Caesar. So I know it's in your pocket, but whose face is on it? Caesar's. So whose money is it? It's Caesar's. So you give Caesar what belongs to him. This is all what he's saying right here. It's that simple. Because the people is trying to bring him under Caesar and turning Caesar, Pilate, and everybody else against him as being nonpartisan. You're not holding to a political party. You're no respecter of a person. Doesn't make difference whether you're Democrat or Republican or independent. Because he's saying, I'm not part of that system. That's what he's saying. So what do they do? Got nothing else to do but to go away. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at ArthurBaileyMinistries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.